welcome back. Uh, full disclosure, this podcast is being re-uploaded. Um, I uploaded it initially June 3rd on a Wednesday uh, around noonish, and then later that afternoon, uh, Drew Brees had some some thoughts on the George Floyd protests and everything that's been going on across the globe these past few days. Um, and so I thought, you know, normally I let the news cycle just kind of happen organically. And if I miss something, then, you know, tough luck. Um, but as a white guy with a ton of privilege, um, I feel the need to speak on these, uh, speak on the comments of Drew Brees because his comments do not represent what this is all about. And his comments were frankly, uh, ignorant and he might've had good intentions. Um, but we'll talk about those later. Um, so what I did, uh, and again, nothing is being changed from yesterday. This is just being re-recorded, um, so I'm not altering anything that I said yesterday. Um, but I, I tried to figure out a way to speak honestly and effectively about the George Floyd protests and everything that's been happening. Um, and typically the format, uh, I have this podcast called Quarantine Questions. The format of that is we answer a question every week. So what I did was I, I collected a bunch of questions I typically see. Uh, when these sort of protests are happening and sort of the misconceptions and any misnomers about these things. Um, and I figured I'd answer them uh, just so that way uh, other white people can understand how to effectively help combat police brutality and racism, uh, both of which are plaguing this country and have been plaguing this country for a very long time. Um, so the first question I see all the time, is America racist? The short answer is yes. Um, there are scholars who are better at me than explaining these things i'll explain well the second question how do i know america's racist um again there are scholars out there who are uh more adept to explaining these issues um but we'll talk about how as a white person um you can recognize these institutions and these injustices um but just a quick run through, how do I know America's racist? Um, maybe it was the time that white colonizers forcibly took Africans from their homeland and brought them over to build the country. Or maybe it was the time the southern states got mad uh, because they couldn't have slaves, so they started a war. Or maybe it was the time that black people fought and fought and fought just for the simple right to vote. Or maybe it was the time the criminal justice system unfairly convicted and sentenced and continues to unfairly convict and sentence black people to longer sentences than white people, or maybe it's the times that the police constantly target black people. Just a theory I'm working on, though. Um, <laughs> uh, the third question I see, uh, this is kind of a, a digression, um, but I thought the Civil War was fought because of states' rights. Uh, no. Uh, here's what the different southern states said in their letters of succession, because guess what? Primary sources matter. Uh, Mississippi said... Our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery. Louisiana said the people of the slaveholding states are bound together by the same necessity and determination to preserve African slavery. And then I can tell you what Alabama said in their letters. I can tell you what Texas or South Carolina said in their letters. But I think we get the picture. Civil War was fought because of slavery. Uh, anyway, I digress. Back to the original point. This is one I see all the time. It's not really a question, though. It's more of a general statement. I think all lives matter. Well, guess what? All lives obviously don't matter in this country. That's why declaring Black Lives Matter is important. Um, it's an important thing to declare as a white person, especially. Um, this is one that has been flying around the interwebs a ton. Um, you know, white privilege is a myth. White privilege is a hoax. Um, is white privilege really a thing? 
Yes. When a white person is born, they have an immediate and distinct advantage over someone born without white skin. Now, just focusing solely on white people's relationship with the police. Um, our ability to not fear for our lives when an officer pulls us over. Privilege. Our ability to be abused, to not be abused and or murdered by the police. Privilege. Our ability to turn our back on the issues that don't affect us, like police brutality. Privilege. Statistically, it is proven that black people are targeted at a higher rate than white people by the police. Uh, I think the New York Times published some data yesterday that showed that black people um, who encounter the Minneapolis police share 58% of the use of police force, and they're seven, that's seven times the rate of white people. So this isn't just a, a blip in the radar. This is a systemic thing that is constantly plaguing the black community. Um, so yes, white privilege is definitely a thing. Um, and this, this doesn't just you know, focus solely on you know, issues of police brutality. Um, sentencing in the criminal justice system. Um, you know, I'm going to recommend some books here in a little bit. But one of the most one eye-opening stat I always reference um, is in James Kilgore's book called Understanding Mass Incarceration. And whenever the war on drugs was happening, um, I want to say uh, cocaine, like the powder, was typically found in uh, white communities, and you know, crack rock was found in black communities. And the sentences for having, you know, I think it was three times as much cocaine powder as cocaine or crack rock was was the same sentence. So having more um, was the same sentence as having less in a black community, if that makes sense. Um, but I mean, this goes on to things like uh, housing voter suppression, uh, the list goes on and on and on. Um, another question, I see this a lot on our our local, our local news channel, uh, that Facebook comment section is just filled with garbage, um, but the, the winner for crappiest comment of the week, uh, why can't people just comply with the police? Why didn't he just comply? Um, you, you know, we pick up on patterns, as a kid, you know, you can, like, one, two, three, what's the next number? Four. Um, you know, you see red, blue, red, blue, red, and then what's the next color going to be? Blue. Um, we pick up on patterns, and over and over again, we continue to see videos of men and women, specifically black men and women, complying with law enforcement, hands up, don't shoot, and they still get murdered. Um, have you seen the videos of the police acting as though they're above the law these past few days? Have you seen the amount of peaceful protesters being harassed and abused by the police? Breonna Taylor was sleeping in her home and the police invaded it and shot her at least eight times when their main suspect was already in custody. It's not a matter of just complying because black people and people of color could follow directions to a T and still end up with their names on a cardboard box at a protest. That's how the system is designed to oppress black people. Um, here's, here's another good one. All cops aren't bad cops, though, right? One apple doesn't spoil the bunch. Uh, there are good cops. There are good cops that do their job. Um, and the videos of cops being nice to protesters and allowing people to exercise their constitutional rights are fun to see. The pictures of cops hugging black people, they're nice to see. But niceness and hugs won't solve police brutality or racist, racism. Um, we can't just hug it out. It is going to take a Herculean effort to overhaul the systems that oppress people of color daily. Okay, last question. This is a this is a promising question. White people ask, how do I get involved? The first thing you have to do is listen. Listen to the experiences of your black friends. 
believe the experiences of your black friends, and make them aware that you are always in their corner. Uh, the second thing is to act. Um, how you act will show how much more show how much more you care than simply retweeting a hashtag or you know posting a black box on Instagram. As white people, we are exuding privilege, and if we don't acknowledge our privilege, um, we all right. Let me rephrase. We're exuding privilege. And we can utilize our privilege to help amplify the voices of our black brothers and sisters. There we go. That's what I wanted to say. Um, so what's part of acting? Call out people on their racism. Support your black friends. Sign petitions. Donate. Protest. Um, don't confuse being an ally with posting a black square on your Instagram feed. That's a bar. Um, the third thing you can do is learn. Um, in my personal life... <laughs> I've found it very hard to speak on things. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, so after Philando Castile's death in 2016, I believe, um, I made a concerted effort to learn more about the institutions that are in place to oppress people of color. And as I mentioned earlier, I focused specifically on the criminal justice system and mass incarceration. But I also picked up a few other books um, dealing with America's history of racism. Uh, I don't own all these books, but I own a fair amount of them, and I've read a portion of them. And these were recommended to me over the years. Um, I follow a couple people on Twitter that are always recommending books to white people on how to learn about um, issues plaguing black people. Um, so I organized this list, I wouldn't say chronologically, but by issue. So uh, Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram Kendi, I believe. Uh, that one's been recommended to me over and over and over again. That one, I think uh, it's like a compendium of America's racist history. Um, and then The Half Has Never Been Told by Edward Baptist. I think that one deals specifically with slavery. Um, the Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilkerson. That one deals with the Great Migration. Uh, the Color of Law by Richard Rothstein deals with specifically uh, racism and housing. That is one that has been recommended to me for a few years. I just, I've just never had the chance to pick it up. Um, the New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. I've owned that one forever. I got it right after I watched uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, 13th documentary on Netflix. Check it out if you haven't seen that. It's a really compelling piece of art. Um, Understanding Mass Incarceration by James Kilgore. I mentioned that one earlier. Um, Give Us the Ballad by Ari Berman. Deals with voter suppression, voter rights. Um, Uprooting Racism by Paul Kivell. That one deals specifically with how white people can help effectively uproot racism, as the title says. And then a more recent one, They Can't Kill Us All by Wesley Lowry. That one deals specifically with the Ferguson protest. Um, and that's another one I picked up as soon as he published it. Um, and the last thing is to be intentional. Protest. If you can't protest, protest, donate. Um, I donated to the Atlanta Solidarity Fund over the weekend, which helped bail out protesters. I know the Minneapolis Freedom Fund, or the Minnesota Freedom Fund, uh, received over $20 million in donations as soon as the protest started. So I donated something a little closer to home, but I know there are funds, bail funds specifically in Philadelphia, New York, uh, Louisville, um, all over the place. Um, and I also donated to Act Blue, and Act Blue was nice because uh, I did one uh, donation and it split it between 10 different organizations fighting police, police brutality and racism. Um, so it was a good way to kind of divvy it up between all the different ones instead of having to pick one and just go with it. Um, and even if you can't donate a ton, even if it's five bucks, it's five more bucks than they had before. Um, sign, pro sign petitions, petitions are free. I know there are a ton of them out there floating around for George, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. Um, they're, they're all over Twitter. 
So just sign them. Uh, it takes two seconds, your name and your email address, that's it. Um, but we as white folks have to understand um, that with our privilege, we have an opportunity and a platform to make sure that the issues plaguing our black brothers and sisters can be heard because they've been trying for so long and they've been fighting so hard and it's time for some change. And it's, it's going to be a Sisyphean effort, um, but I have faith that we'll be able to roll the boulder finally over the hill. Um, Drew Brees, um, I'm going to read you his comment because I alluded it, I alluded to it earlier, um, but I just want to make sure we have some context. Drew Brees said in an interview yesterday, he said, I will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Let me just tell you that I see, uh, let me tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played. And when I look at the flag of the United States, I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the army and one in the Marine Corps both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. Um, he was, uh, I don't know, people still use the term ratioed. Um, I don't know if Drew Brees is on Twitter, but he was dragged from everybody uh, from all walks of life. Uh, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, his own teammates, people around the NFL, Richard Sherman, Martellus Bennett, um, he was rightfully dragged. Um, his comments were uh, ignorant. They were insensitive. Um and as somebody who has a great-grandfather um, who fought in World War II, as somebody who wrote a paper uh, in high school about his grandfather, great-grandfather fighting in World War II, um, as somebody who has like four generations of military men fighting for this country, um, it is still appalling to me that we think these protests are about a piece of fabric. Um, you know, if I would add one more question to this list... Um, I would ask, what's the infatuation with the American flag? Um, I've, I feel like, I don't, I don't know if nationalism is the right term, but I mean, every single event, we're pledging allegiance and doing, I don't know if this is a Cold War thing. Um, I don't know when we began inundating ourselves with just patriotism. Um, but I mean, I, I go to like my little sister's, you know, Christmas recital, nothing to do with America. And it's, we're pledging allegiance and, saying that like it makes zero sense. Um, but back to Drew Brees, sorry, I digress once again. Um, we're almost four years removed from Colin Kaepernick's, Colin Kaepernick's uh, first, first protest, first kneeling. Um, it was a peaceful protest. Remember, he spoke to one of his teammates who was a veteran on the 49ers at the time. He originally sat on the bleachers, but the veteran told him to take a knee. It was more respectful, so Colin, out of respect, took the knee. Um... And people still are misconstruing this and thinking that it's about the national anthem or about the American flag whenever, uh, from the beginning, it has clearly been about uh, systemic racism in this country and police brutality and issues that are constantly affecting black and brown people in this country. And I just can't comprehend how people are still not getting, how many, how many people are missing the mark still. Um, and this is the part about being an ally. Drew Brees posted a black square on his Instagram. Remember how I said don't confuse being an ally with posting a black box on your Instagram? Yeah. Drew Brees has done, no, granted, he's done a ton for New Orleans. Um, they love him there. But his comments were ill-informed. They were ill-timed. Um, and this is the whole, this is the whole, uh, somebody says, you know, I'm not racist because I have black friends. That's completely missing what racism is. 
Um, Drew Brees obviously has, he interacts with black people daily in the locker room. Um, <laughs> he should have, it, it's incredible to me that people are still messing this stuff up. Um, and then I woke up this morning and Mike Norvell, Florida State coach, um, was getting put on blast by Marvin Williams, uh, who said that Mike Norvell, although he said he reached out to every player individually and had to add dialogue with them, uh, they they just received one mass text. I don't understand. Like, did did you think this wouldn't spill out into social media? And again, this is me. Um, and again, part of my privilege is just like I didn't have to re-record this podcast. I didn't have to record this podcast. I could have just sat there and kind of let it nod me and let it sit in the back of my head and just done nothing about it because I know that these issues statistically do not affect me. Um, but man, white people do better. Like you are, and and again, Martell has been at a good thread about the racism of the NFL, but I mean, just the amount of white coaches who are leading black men and their lack of stepping up I don't know if it's appalling because I'm not really surprised uh, because these guys want to protect their jobs and they really only have their best interests at heart. Um, but I'm just disappointed that these guys keep missing the mark, especially Mike Norvell. Cause I, th- I thought he was different. Um, what? And again, who knows? Maybe, maybe Mike Norvell will come out and, you know, kind of clarify his comments, but that doesn't, that doesn't take away from the fact that he straight up lied about communicating with his players and that's going to be a rough one to recover from. Uh, Drew Brees apologized today. Uh, I saw some of his teammates were retweeting it. Um, but these aren't these aren't things that are just going to kind of slip away into the news cycle. These are things that are going to that are going to sit, and people are going to remember these things. Um, and whenever we we look back in twenty or thirty years, and people are asking what side you stood on, um, people aren't going to forget these things. All right. Uh, this this was uncomfortable, but I think it was necessary. Um, I'm glad I re-recorded it. I just had to get some stuff off my mind about just Drew Brees, Mike Norvell, that whole thing. Hopefully, um, that was off the cusp um, or off the cuff. I don't know. What, whatever's the appropriate way to say that. Um, it was off the cuff. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds better. Um, that was kind of impromptu, um, kind of a rapid-fire reaction, um, but I hope it was cathartic nonetheless. part two of this podcast i know that that was tough um it's uncomfortable but if we want change we have to get uncomfortable um this next part this has been something i wanted to tackle uh, on a podcast for a while because with no sports we have resorted to the archaic jordan versus lebron bait um and everybody on twitter shared their all-time list and everybody agreed and there were no disputes uh but seriously we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for sports content, I honestly think Undisputed is still doing their Jordan material. Um, I digress. I, ju- I just couldn't do those those LeBron Jordan ba- debates for you know two hours a day. That's just it's miserable. I don't. I just the thought of another Jordan LeBron ba- LeBron debate makes me want to I don't know pull my eyeballs out with an ice cream scoop. It's it's the worst. Um, but I've seen a lot of bad all time lists. Um, here's here's a couple. Uh, quote-unquote respected members uh, that are in, in league circles. Uh, Paul Pierce, 
our guy here at the podcast. Uh, his top five, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant. Now, you're probably thinking there is one glaring omission in which Twitter rightfully called him out, and that omission is LeBron James. Bleacher Report and ESPN both did a huge like 1 through 100 ranking of every player. Maybe it was 1 through 50. Um, but here's Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report's 1 through 5 wasn't terrible, um, but their 6 through 15 was, was a pretty rough read. So at 6, they had Shaq, 7, Duncan, 8, Bill Russell, uh, 9, Wilt Chamberlain, 10, Steph, 11, Oscar Robertson, uh, 12, David Robinson, the Admiral, 13, Hakeem, 14, Kobe, 15, Kevin Durant. Um, there are a ton of screw-ups on this list. Uh, Duncan and Hakeem are both behind Shaq. Steph is over Kobe and KD. Hakeem is behind Shaq. Um, oh, I already said that, duh. Um, and then Duncan, or Hakeem is behind Shaq, Duncan, Russell, Wilt, and the Admiral. Um, a lot of a lot of just player-switching, player um Mis- misplacement of players, I guess, is the right way to say that. Um, and then Kendrick Perkins did his top five back in like late March, I think. He did Michael Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Kobe, and the Larry Bird. Uh, Magic Johnson missing. Um, and truthfully, I could, I could care less about your all-time list if it meets certain criteria. So like, I don't care about your top three, the order of it, but it has to be a combination of Michael Jordan, LeBron, and somebody else. Throw in Kareem, put in Bill Russell for the rings, Put in magic for the ability. I, I honestly don't care. Uh, if you're feeling frisky, put Kobe there. Um, but I think I've said on this podcast, I, and, and maybe something with my all-time list, I don't take uh, into account what players say about the player, if that makes sense. Um, after Kobe's passing, I saw so many interviews about how he was just the ultimate competitor. Um, just he was, he was, whenever players would say the toughest uh, opponent to play, it was always Kobe. Um, so those are things I just... I guess I never really considered, um, but I think top five lists in general are boring. I think the six through twenty spots uh, where those squabbles happen—that's more interesting and more compelling to argue. Um, but suffice to say that nobody's all-time list is perfect. Um, but I think every list has to follow a specific set of rules if we're going to take those lists seriously. If that makes sense. So the first rule. LeBron has to be in your top three. And I don't think this is controversial. I only think the worst of the worst media personalities have this. Um, but LeBron slander is not going to be tolerated. And again, I'm fine with you making an argument for Kareem at two. Um, he's a six-time champion, 15 All-NBA teams. He has the most points over his career ever. Uh, he's, he was walking 24-11 and 11 over his 20-year career. He has the most win shares ever, and I can list the accolades on and on and on going back to even college. Um, but a tremendous Kareem career shouldn't take away from the greatness that LeBron has shown throughout his career and will continue to show uh, because he is in year 17 and he is still putting up numbers. Um, LeBron's a three-time champion, three-times finals MVP, four-time league MVP, made uh, an all-NBA team 15 times. He is third in career points. Aiden career assist. He went to the finals eight straight years. He's a walking 27-7-7 for his career. And then again, I can go on and on and on. He has to be in your top top three. Why Paul Pierce has him outside of his top five? Here's my theory. 
Pierce versus LeBron head to head. LeBron averaged 29, 7, and 6.5 to Pierce's 25.5 and uh, 4 in the regular season. And in the playoffs, LeBron is 17 and 13 against Pierce and averaged 29, 8, and 5. And Pierce averaged only 17, 5, and 3. But it's, it's just a theory. LeBron owning Pierce, that's just a theory. I'm still working on it, workshopping it. Um, rule number two when you're making an all time list. You have to respect Tim Duncan. I know the Bleacher Report one was kind and they put him at seven, but I think there's an argument to be made that Tim Duncan is better than Shaq. More rings head to head in the playoffs. They're tied 15 and 15. Um, I think Duncan averages a few more points than Shaq in the playoffs. Um, but I have to speak up for the big fundamental. Too many people disrespect Tim Duncan's career and their disrespect will not be tolerated. I can make a case. Uh, for Tim Duncan being as high as sixth, I see. Um, once we start talking five, that's whenever I start getting a little, eh, maybe, maybe not. Um, but in his 20-year career, Tim Duncan never missed the playoffs. He has five rings, three finals MVPs, and was the, the best player on all five finals in, finals teams. Uh, Tony Parker won one of the finals MVPs. Kawhi won the other. There's a case we made. Tim Duncan was the best player on all five of those teams, even though he only has three of the finals MVPs. Um Duncan was a guaranteed nightly double-double. He averaged 19-11 and 11 over his 20-year career. He beat the Dirk and Nash Mavs, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers, the LeBron and Wade Heatles, and a plethora of other all-time teams and all-time players on those teams. Duncan won two regular season MVPs and was an all-NBA selection 15 times. He had eight first-team selections in a row, 10 first-team selections in total, three second-team, and two third-team finishes. And Duncan wasn't the most vocal, but he was the most consistent, and the, con- the constant disrespect he receives is appalling. Rule number three. I don't want to bombard you with rules, but rule number three. KD has to be higher than Steph. I don't see how this keeps getting... Keeps getting uh, I don't see how people keep making this wrong decision. Um... I have eyes. I watch basketball. Kevin Durant is clearly better than Stephen Curry. Um, And that's not taking away from Steph's greatness. I think that's just adding to how good KD is. Um, Sure, Steph is the greatest shooter of all time. He's the better shooter. But KD is the greatest scorer I have ever seen. Again, I've only been watching basketball for like a decade. I was not alive uh, for MJ's run, and I caught the last half of Kobe's run. Um, But Kevin Durant is the greatest scorer I have ever seen. And if we did an all-time draft of players, just a redraft of players, uh, Michael Jordan would go one or two, depending on what camp you're in. Um, Magic would go top five. Shaq would go top five. Kevin Durant goes top ten easily. 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 Okay? KD is a seven-footer that shoots nearly 40% from three and averages 27 a game for his career. He is a team's worst nightmare and one of history's uh, ultimate mismatches. And sure, Steph has one more ring than KD, but I think there's an argument to be made that the 2017 Cavs team with LeBron was even better than the 2016 team and would have repeated without Kevin Durant's contributions in those 2017 finals. Now, Steph had an, an incredible 2016 season. He was a unanimous MVP of the league, but that doesn't cover the fact that KD is easily the better player. Um, and again, like I said, I had a lot more ideas for rules, you know, Hakeem has to be in your top 10. Russell has to be higher than Wilt. 
projecting future success is okay. That was one of the big uproars about ESPN's list was that you know people like Giannis and James Harden, whose careers weren't finished, were like top 50. We have to project these things. It's okay. We have to assume that Giannis will probably win a ring in his lifetime. He'll probably win a couple more MVPs. It's okay to project. Um, but I don't want to put too many limitations on this because all-time lists are fun to make and they're fun to debate. Um, they're supposed to create a discourse between fans, but I don't want to talk to anybody whose opinions aren't grounded in fact. Um, so whenever you make these things, be smart, be sensible, um, but don't regurgitate the garbage that some members of the media can put out there. Um, maybe one day I'll do an all-time podcast, but Woes tweeted earlier today, um, part of the reason this podcast is going out on Wednesday is because I just wanted to respect the Blackout Tuesday and not put out any media. Um, but Woes tweeted out earlier today that 22 teams are being invited to Orlando to play. So we will have basketball soon. July 31st, I think, is the start date. Uh, so we'll definitely be discussing that here in the future. Um, but thanks again for listening to this episode of Quarantine Questions. Again, check out the donation links. Give anything you can to support these causes. Um, Till next time.